Hello, and welcome to The Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. Hey folks, I'm Cash Upton. The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about crypto and NFTs. We'll do a deep dive into the critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss the current events shaping the space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice and crypto can be risky. In this episode, we give you an update with with what's happening in the Solana ecosystem, especially with the outage that recently happened on the Solana blockchain. And we kind of go through the process of what happened and our thoughts for the future of Solana and other blockchains. Yeah, I'm really excited to jump into this episode with you because we were originally planning on doing a deep dive into Solana. And then last night, the outage happened. So it was a perfect time to kind of talk about how this happened on this blockchain versus, you know, other blockchains and whatnot. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, we we were pretty prescient in that we wanted to do a episode featuring Solana, but we didn't know it'd be a, about this. I mean, how did you find out about the the network outage cache? Were you, were you uh, aping into some NFT projects? <laughs> Well, I was actually trying to um, send a bit of soul uh, to my buddy and it kept being failed on his end. He, he was using Coinbase because he still has a, uh, you know, Coinbase wallet, not a crypto wallet um, where they're still the custodian of his funds. But, you know, we'll go into that later. Um, but Coinbase was just not allowing the Solana wallet address to populate. So that was like kind of the first instance of what what's going on here. And then I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> what's going on? And then woke up in the morning to the article you sent me, and that that was uh, quite quite a, a surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, I always think it's just what happens in crypto is it's a new technology. You know, this is what happens when you have a new technology. But for our listeners, let's let's explain to them what happened. Um, there was a network outage that lasted over seventeen hours for the Solana blockchain, so you couldn't process any transactions through it. It was pretty much rendered useless for 17, 17 hours, which is a long time for a blockchain that has a market cap of 40, over $40 billion. Right. Yeah. They have, they have a lot of stake right here. Yeah. Especially also because they just had a huge price run in the token. They were up about 300% in the past month, I think something like that, something really aggressively. And, you know, we saw the price take off and we were talking about that on another podcast. So when this outage happened, the price did tumble a little bit, but you know what, actually I think is really reassuring for people who are invested in Solana or who um, believe in the Solana community and the Solana blockchain is that the price didn't tumble as far down as, you know, some people might have thought it would, you know, I think it's right now it's trading out at 150, $150 per soul token, which it was up around 211, I think was the peak that it recently hit its recent high. So, I mean, it's down about 25% from that, peak but i mean it could have been way worse right and and that was one of our main topics before the crash is we want to kind of go into the debate over throughput transactions per second versus decentralization of nodes and validators and you know kind of what different risks ecosystems have based on how they're designed and so this really kind of you know brought it to light of you know, what, what was the happening stance, right? So will you walk us in? I think you said there was a token drop that was at the, yeah, there was an, I, there was an um, IDO. So an initial distribution offering of um, some tokens. And within that token drop was a bug that 
prevented the queuing of transactions to be um, parsed out correctly. And so what happened was all these transactions just kept stacking up on the blockchain, waiting for blocks to be added to, to be completed. And so then I think about 400,000 transactions per second were trying to be processed on the blockchain. And it's just not built for that throughput in that way. And so the, the network actually, the blockchain actually went down. And so the team has said they're going to do a detailed post-mortem about exactly what happened. So we can expect that in the coming weeks. But uh, what, what, what they did to fix it essentially is the engineers deployed a patch to the network and then essentially reset the network and, and uh, launched it again. And I have some friends who are involved with some projects on Solana. And they said, you know, the Solana team knew about this vulnerability that this might happen. And they actually had a patch ready for it. They just hadn't rolled it out yet. <laughs> but it's funny how like the public market will will make you. Uh, yeah, they did update. it real quick. What, like 12 or yeah. something hours that they, you know, had it back. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible feat. I'm sure they uh, were not sleeping. <laughs> Yeah. And maybe not even eating. They were probably really busy during that. Right. That time. Yeah. It was actually like closer to 17 hours and they were just yeah. working straight through to get it back up and fix the bug. Yeah. And so they, they tweeted out, they said that engineers across the ecosystem deployed several mitigations in version 1.62.25 to increase network resiliency during periods of extreme transaction load. And these fixes included preventing exclusive locking on accounts that reference program code and the introduction of throttling of forwarded transactions, which will prevent amplification of transaction congestion. So pretty much that means they fix the problem of all these transactions stacking up in a way that would overload the network. Gotcha. Because that's what was happening. They were they were waiting to be transacted, and that's what caused like the, the block. Yeah, because Solana is built for right now 65,000 transactions per second is what they claim or what they, they say. But, you know, that's way higher, you know, 400,000 is a lot more than 65,000. So that's what happened. And the team has also said that they're committed to, you know, being transparent with the community and they want to publish a detailed postmortem, which is kind of the standard in crypto culture and crypto communities is that when something does go wrong, you do a deep dive and explain exactly what happened and you publish it so that everyone can see one, so they, you know, there's this is honesty that's that and, and transparency that is inherent in the crypto network that people that people want to, I mean, you know, that's a value that we really want to, you know, hold up high. But all the, also, so everyone else can learn from their mistakes, right? And not do that. Right. And because it's a, you know, open source blockchain, anyone can do this deep dive at the end of the day. If they don't do it, someone's going to do it. So it's good of them to, you know, really take it on themselves to let the public know what happened before someone else does. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. The blockchains are out in the open, they're transparent. And that's, and that's one of the advantages that they have. So I think one thing that's important to notice, though, is, you know, Solana is still pretty young in its blockchain. Uh, right trajectory, you know, when you compare it to some of these other blockchains that have been around a while, like if you look at Ethereum, Ethereum had a similar kind of failure and outages in its history. And especially in 2016, there was a Shanghai incident um, that affected one of the nodes, right? One of the clients, right? Cash. Yeah. Uh, there's a good bankless episode on it. And in, um, in 2016, uh, 
Ethereum was operating with two clients and only one of the clients got attacked. Um, and the attacker spent like millions of dollars worth of Ethereum at that time, which is a lot now, to attack that network. But because there was another client still operating, the Ethereum network never actually went down. People were still able to get transactions through because there's that other client that wasn't attacked. And so that is a, a good, you know, lead way into this kind of question of like centralization and decentralization, which um, I'd love to hear, you know, what you've been talking about with, with friends and, and whatnot in the Solana ecosystem on, you know, how is that mitigated? Yeah, that's one of the critiques that people bring up about Solana, that it's more centralized than some other blockchains like Ethereum. And I think that right now, because it's so young as a blockchain and the ecosystem so young, the token distribution is maybe a little more concentrated than it would be considering like something like Ethereum, which has been around for a long time since 2014, you know, 15. So there's been plenty of time for those coins to be distributed, you know, and, and some people even say, if you look at Ethereum, like the, the token distribution is just as concentrated as would be Ethereum. I mean, as Solana. So, you know, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to compare just because they're at different times in their, in their ecosystem. You know, it's like, yeah, when he, when Ethereum was that young, I think it was also, you know, more centralized too. So there's that point that people bring up, but you know, when an attack, like or a failure like this happens, it's, it's, you know, it's easy for people to just be like, well, this is what happens when you have a centralized a more of a centralized uh, blockchain. And I'm not saying that Solana is a centralized blockchain, but it, it people, tend to say that it's more centralized than say Ethereum. Yeah. And let's dive into that one a little bit deeper. Like what does that mean if it's more centralized? Does that mean there's less validators or like tell, give us a little bit of like the. Yeah. That means there's less people validating the less participants validating the transaction. So when you have a blockchain and someone puts through a block, a transaction, right? When you're trying to buy an NFT or whatever, it's, they, they look at your wallet, they look at the transaction and they, they, they do a, a proof of stake validation that says, okay, this is a valid transaction and we're going to confirm it. And there's X number of confirmations that have to, the individuals have to confirm that this is true. So not just one computer, one person running a node has to confirm it. You know, it has to be 35 or 100 or 10,000, depending on the blockchain and depending on how it's designed, there has to be a consensus built around the transaction that says this is valid, right? So it's not just based on one person or one computer or one agent or one actor to say, okay, like cash, you bought this NFT that's with, and you have enough Solana in your wallet to do that. No, we need to have at least a hundred people who say, yes, cash, you, you can buy this NFT and you have enough Solana to do it. And that decentralization forms a consensus that secures the transactions because maybe one person get hacked, maybe two people can get hacked, but it's going to be hard to hack a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 people all at once. And this is the basis of blockchain security and consensus and how blockchains work. Yeah, I believe I heard recently the Solana network has about 900 validators. Yeah, something like that. And, and, this is where people say like, yeah, it's, it's a newer blockchain. So there's less validators. Also, it's more technologically intensive to run a Solana uh, validator node versus like Ethereum. And that's also because the hardware that's required, the servers, the, the things that you need to actually do that at home are just more prohibitively expensive or 
they require some technical expertise that you might not have. So also those are things that I think, and people who are in the Solana community say that those are things that will distribute over time, like hardware costs will come down, processing power of home computers will go up. And so they're kind of also just like leaning into the fact that this tech, the technology that needs to be created to accelerate their blockchain is going to be around at the time where as adoption grows. Whereas Ethereum, right, you can run an Ethereum node at home with a Raspberry Pi in your laptop and all you need is an internet connection. Is that so you don't get hungry, the Raspberry Pi? Yeah, right. Doesn't that just make you hungry when you think of that? Uh, uh, enliven our listeners and me too, because I don't actually know what a Raspberry Pi is. A Raspberry Pi is just like a, C- a CPU server that you can just kind of plug into your laptop. So it just gives you, it just ups your uh, processing speed. Gotcha. Okay, right, right. Okay. And that's one of the biggest arguments for folks like Bankless. I was loving their podcast because they, they were talking about how they're getting called like ETH maxis like Maximus um, in, in a toxic way. And and that's so funny to hear because the narrative for so long is, you know, the Bitcoin maximalists and like the, the you'd hardly ever hear that with Ethereum folks is, you know, there, there's, you know, good things in the ecosystem that are just, you know, so wonderful that they make sense. Um, and one of the biggest proponents of them is the decentralization factor, right? The bankless, like not having another centralized cryptocurrency that looks just like a, a, a modern bank. Right. We, the last thing we want to do with crypto is just recreate the same problems that we have in our current financial system and just transfer them to a blockchain version of that and not really make any real progress and substantial change. So it's really so it's really important for people to understand that blo- not all blockchains are created equal. Some blockchains are more centralized. Some blockchains are more decentralized. It's like a spectrum, and wherever you are in the spectrum, you're always making some choices and some compromises, and in how you design it in the in the network architecture and how it's built. And so you know, th- there's always some kinds of trade offs here. And I think one of the things that Solana has done is they they maybe have um, at this point have sacrificed some of the decentralization um, parts to build a network that is really robust and that is forward thinking as far as being able to process the amount of transactions you need to actually be a, get mass adoption, right? I mean, right now if you try to, it's 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 really hard to see how Ethereum could have mass adoption when it costs $65 to, to, to run it, to change one token to another, you know, and the right. average person's not going to do that. And, and the fact that it could take up to eight to 10 minutes and, and then it still might not go through, right. That's just that's And we have layer twos rolling out, but you know, when you go onto Solana, like we've been doing, like you've been doing some NFT on Solana and even just the gas fees, right. Just, Oh, look, it processes right away. Oh, yeah. and it's free when you go to Ethereum. Oh, look, it's a hundred dollars just to, buy this NFT that's only $150. <laughs> so it's like, wait, I'm spending, oh, I'm spending 66% of my, of my principal in transaction fees. I mean, that's, that's not a great selling point. Right. And so I think, you know, this, this one, one of the things is that maybe, maybe Solana is making some trade-offs there, but it's also like, you have to look at like the benefits of some of those trade-offs, the fact that you can get transactions done for free and they process instantly. Right. And with, you know, 
the increase in technology, we will see more and more Solana validators come on the scene and and add to that decentralization. Yeah, and I think also think as Solana's tokens value appreciates too, because you're going to earn Sol by validating the network, right? So, so the one of the ways that blockchains secure themselves is that because you are running a validator that's processing transactions, when you're an active node on a transaction, you get a piece of the action and you get a little piece, a little slice of soul if you're on Solana or if you're on the Ethereum network, a little slice of ETH, or if you're on Bitcoin mining, you get some Bitcoin. So this is the motivation. This is what's so great about blockchains is that they align the incentives of security with self-interest. And we know that people are always going to be self-interested and want to make money. And so yeah. it, it, you make more money by actually participating actively in securing the blockchain. Yeah. And so, so one of the well, the concepts was how much does it cost to attack a network? Like what's the economic cost? And, you know, we talked about the Shanghai attack on Ethereum a few years ago. Someone spent millions of dollars in ETH to try to attack it. If they just bought ETH and invest it, they'd be way more rich than they ever would have gotten off of that like failed attack, even if that attack was, you know, profitable. So, you know, um, to attack the Solana network in, in theory, like what a half or two thirds of the validators would have to be compromised. So does that mean you're almost like having to buy up? Like you would need 50, it's called a 51% attack, right? You would have to convince 51% of the validators to go with your hack. To, right, which to successfully would... to successfully you know carry it out, which would be socially really hard to engineer, right? Because right. first of all, who are all these validators? You don't really know them, so you have to figure that out, and then you have to provide them enough financial incentive that makes it worth it for them, and for the fact that they might, you know, never be able to validate on Solana again, could get arrested, yeah, go to jail, exactly, like, you right? Like, like so, yeah. This yeah. is the whole theory around blockchains is that it's. It's, there's, there's nothing that's ever going to be completely 100% secure. And anyone who's, who tells you otherwise is just full of crap. There's always risks in any system, but it's just really, 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 really hard. We just yeah. make it incredibly, incredibly hard through different layers of security to actually pull off a, a successful blockchain hack. And yeah, that's all we the, can do, really. They talked in Bankless about the quote, social constructs of coordination, which are blockchains. And, you know, at the, at some point there is a, a necessity of trusting the validator. Cause like you said, it's, it's in their best interest to keep this network healthy and. Yeah. Cause they're making money, right? They, they make more money. Think about it. If, if the blockchain is secure, more people want to use it. Therefore the blockchain accrues more transaction fees. And if you're a validator, then you get to get a slice of of more of those fees. So it's this positive feedback loop. And then the token value will probably appreciate over time. So as this network gets more secure, which therefore more people want to use it, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this great kind of flywheel that gets built once a blockchain gets to that point of having that secure reputation and being de decentralized. And, and this is early days, right? I mean, it's, this is like, we're literally rebuilding the internet. So right. like, like, like and, and a lot of it's on the participants to further push for decentralization. Yeah. No one, no, I think that, you know, when you, a lot of people come to crypto, they may not know 
a lot about these backend things with centralization versus decentralization. And they may not even care that much. They maybe just want to get rich or make some money or buy an NFT. Right. But the more that you learn about blockchain and cryptos, you, you do understand that you know decentralization is really, really important. And it's not just because, oh, that we just think that that's how it should be. No, it's it matters to the everyday person because if you look at all the ways that our privacy is being just stripped away because of digital bank banking and how that and that whole digital financial system is how that's kind of in traditional finance and how that's just kind of overtaking the internet, you're kind of in this financial prison and your privacy is also being um, completely dissolved, completely obliterated. And because now you're having the same companies that control the financial rails are using the financial rails to control people's behavior and politics. And we saw this with the OnlyFans thing that went down. And we see this with um, Apple's rolling out that new software where they can look at your pictures on your phone. So, I, I mean, didn't know about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're li- cryptographic technology is the only thing that we have that provides any privacy in your world now. And so it's super, super important if you want to have financial freedom, which is essentially economic freedom is pretty much tied to your political freedom. If the government can choose how you spend your money, then they pretty much can control you. So this is why it's so important right now. We're at a crucial point in our in our time where we're seeing privacy just be completely eroded. But there's another option. And this matters because do you really want to live in like a big brother state where every transaction you do can be accepted or denied by the government and the government gets to decide what you can buy and what you can't buy. Right. I think this is a good point. It's not necessarily, um, you know, transparency versus hidden actions because, you know, right now, everything you and I do on the blockchain is open, you know, for anyone to see. Um, There are some privacy coins and there's some ways to hide transactions. But what we're talking about here is the the ability for your assets to be frozen or for the government to, you know, take away your money or tell you that you cannot buy something, deny the right to purchase something. You know, we saw this with marijuana, uh, you know, for the last few decades where they said, nope, sorry, you can't buy that. You can't have a bank account if you're doing that. Well, even further than that, even further along that point, cash is, uh, dispensaries now, like a lot of them have banking issues. They, there's banks that won't work with them. They can't get a bank account. If even I, my friend was selling CBD uh, skin and beard oil and she couldn't even get a, uh, she couldn't even use like a bank account because she was selling CBDs. So do we need to be, bring our uh, cannabis friends into the crypto industry? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. I mean, I think anyone who feels marginalized totally by, the, fin- by yeah. the financial system, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it's really, you know, important that people understand that uh, when you when all of the financial when ev- everyone's just doing all their transactions online through Visa, Venmo, their their bank app or whatever, like the bank, those the Visa, those in the the government, like they can they have their fingers. Silicon Valley, Wall Street, and and Washington have their fingers on the dial of all of that stuff. Yeah, and. And they can, they, you know, we, we're seeing it happen. We're seeing it happen right now with the Security Exchange Commission, like how they're, the SEC, they're, they're, they're going to sue Coinbase because they're going to launch a lending uh, uh, program on, on Coinbase. So if you have some ETH or some Bitcoin, you can lend it out. 
and the SEC says this is uh, a, a security. And therefore, if you publish it, uh, Coinbase, we're going to sue you. I mean, <laughs> and and the thing is, Coinbase went to the SEC and said, hey, like, uh, why? first of all, why is this a security? And second of all, um, if it is, can you just tell us what we should do? Like, we we're just, we're, we're, we're proactive. Like, we, Coinbase is like the teacher's pet in all of the crypto. Like, they, they're by the book because they are a centralized company. Coinbase is probably familiar with a lot of our listeners. It's one of the first ways a lot of people end up buying crypto, yep. you know, because it's pretty easy to use. It's been around for a long time. They're trustworthy. They're, they are compliant up to, the, they, they try to be really, really compliant and proactive with Washington and the SEC and Wall Street and, and all these other organizations. But they're, you know, they were taken so aback by this uh, threat to be sued that they actually just published it out to to the world and said, uh, yeah, the SEC is trying to sue us. I mean, we have no idea right. why. <laughs> yeah. Most, most of the time, corporations try to hide the fact that they're being like sued or under investigation. Sued by the SEC, SEC is not yeah. something you really want to just no. post to your Twitter. <laughs> but it's so unfounded or out of left field where Coinbase was almost like, are we taking crazy pills? We need to share this with people. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting is like, you know, the different reactions some people had and, and some one person commented that, uh, they, they should just go ahead and publish their lending protocol and let the SEC sue them and let them take them to court and have the SEC try to prove or what make, a case. Case. Yeah, have make a case. Yeah, actually make a case. Cause right now they're just, I almost feel like, you know, some people are saying it's like, they're calling, they're just bluffing. They're, yeah. They're fishing. They're like, tell us what we need to know. Cause we don't know what we need to know. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, there was a great article that actually was just published in the New York Times uh, today or yesterday. It's called How Bitcoin Can Immunize, Immunize America from Cancel Culture. And it talks exactly about this. This is a great article and uh, we'll publish it in the show notes. And it essentially makes this point that uh, we need to use digital currency as a way to guarantee that we're not just taken over and become bots in a big kind of financial machine that we have no control over. And, you know, they can just, uh, you know, they can lockstep and lock up your account. I mean, for good or for worse, you know, these social media companies now that they're getting into uh, finance. So it's just like this big philosophical debate about what kind of world we really want to live in. What's our future, you know? Right. Because no one can freeze your MetaMask wallet or your, you know, your Ethereum wallet address. Could you use that address on another Ethereum wallet provider? Like instead of MetaMask, like, can you take that wallet ID to someone else, to some other, like, in theory, your public, your public address. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, if your public key is your public key. So it, MetaMask yeah. is just making a program to, uh, yeah, operate. it's the front end that? that makes it nice and gotcha. easy to do, but so yeah, like on if, the back end, yeah, it's just a, it's a public key. It's an address. So like if, if MetaMask was to say, oh, we're going to try to work with the, the government, which they, you know, to comp, uh, you know, confiscate these funds from this like drug trafficker or whatever, they can't do that. It, they don't, it's still your private key that you own. And it's still, yeah. And, and if you wanted to, you could take your funds from MetaMask and go to a different wallet. Right. And you really could just fast and send so, it real fast and yeah. no, you know, the 200,000 validators across Ethereum aren't going to stop that from happening. And that's never going to get stopped. 
Yeah, and this is and this control. is one of the main. Yeah, exactly. This is the main one of the main tenants of crypto is financial sovereignty. Yeah. Right. So if you keep your money in Wells Fargo, then actually Wells Fargo is taking that money and doing all the fun things that we're doing with DeFi and crypto, but they're doing it in traditional finance. They're taking your money and they're lending it out and they're making you know different derivative products and they're investing it on in, in stocks and securities and whatever, and then they're paying you the measly amount of interest that you get and they also you know charge you three dollars for using an atm and blah 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 like it's just and then if you actually want your money you have to go ask permission from wells fargo to spend it right but you can if only the, take you, so much out per day oh, only take so much out from maximum the bank withdrawal and, that's because they only withdrawal. have 10 percent of your money yeah on hand. <laughs> so so like you know financial sovereignty when you when you buy crypto and you put it into your own crypto wallet it's yours it's actually the only one who has permission over like how it gets used or how it's spent is you, which is really awesome and exciting. But I guess also for some people, it's it's a little disconcerting too, because you are your own bank and it is a lot of power and you, you do need to like, you do need to understand what you're doing and, and educate yourself. And it's not, not to scare people. It's just, it's, it's just like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility cash. And I've said it better myself. I was thinking that exact line. I mean, and, that, and that's why we're here because we want to, you know, make it familiar, help educate and make it not so scary and daunting because it can be, you know, a little overwhelming when you, you know, have a 12 word, you know, private key that you got to, you know, not like oh, yeah. anyone seed, know. Seed phrase. Your, oh yeah. yeah when you, seed it's phrase. something like uploading, like, like getting someone who's newer to crypto and like helping them get set up. And they're like, what is a seed phrase? 12 words. What is going on? Why do I have to write this down? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> write it down. Don't type it. Don't put it yeah, on your Write it down device. and don't keep it on your computer or your device. Put it somewhere in meat space in a safety deposit box is always a great idea. And if better would be write it down multiple times and put it in several different places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're going to, we'll do a little wallet security post. We're, we're both going to get a little, uh, ledger hardware wallet soon. Right. I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's really important to, uh, Take, you know, one of the pro moves is to almost have two wallets. You kind of have your vault wallet, which is kind of like your hodl, like hold on for dear life, diamond hands, like your stuff you're just keeping. And you probably, you know, you take a, maybe like, you know, a bunch of your assets that you're planning on doing that with a bunch of your NFTs that are like your favorite NFTs that you're just going to hold, put them on your cold storage wallet, put that somewhere safe. And then just keep a certain percentage of stuff, you know, in your, in your online, in your hot wallet like MetaMask or whatever, and the stuff that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis or whatever. And then, you know, if you really need to, or you decide down the line, that you're going to sell that NFT or whatever, you plug it back in. But I also think it's cool too, because it does prevent you from, um, you know, just FOMOing and, or having paper hands with certain, with certain tokens or certain NFTs. Cause maybe like you just see like a certain, a certain price move and this happens a lot in crypto and you just, you're like, ah, I don't know. I'm gonna, but if you have to actually go and get your hard hardware wallet and plug it in and stuff, you might just hold on, you know, you might just, right. and just yeah. You might get your senses and be like, wait, I'm in it for the long run. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, well Ka cash, did you have any final thoughts on like the future of Solana? Like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. You know, this, this happenstance, um, you know, it doesn't make me want to not keep being bullish as hell and buying more Solana. Um, you know, and, and it brings us back to that question that you're asking of, you know, what's the use case? You know, it isn't just one blockchain to rule the world. Um, people talk about the quote unquote ETH killer, but 
we don't think that, you know, there's, there's use cases for many blockchains and yeah, I, I'm excited to see Solana ape into more of the NFT space, um, especially gaming NFTs and music NFTs um, and really, you know, do things that require fast transactions of low costs. And yeah, maybe it's not as necessary to have the security that you do for, you know, crazy millions of dollars of decentralized finance like you want to do on Ethereum. Yeah, I think people are underestimating the gaming aspect of uh, blockchains in general, and that uh, it's going to be a massive industry with crypto and NFTs integrated into games, and people are going to be talking about it. There's going to be a time pretty soon where you won't be able to go anywhere without someone talking to you about some NFT game, uh, game on Solana or another blockchain that they're playing that's that's fully integrated with crypto, so you can make money while playing this game. We've already seen it with Axie Infinity. So, and that's, you know, they built their own side chain Ronin to, to run their game. And that interfaces with, uh, with Ethereum. And we're going to have, you know, Immutable X that you just, you, you, you were mentioning to that. Yeah. So about that that, earlier. The, the thing that I want to talk about more in our next main segment um, is the layer twos of Ethereum versus other blockchains. Right. And like, so how does, you know, Polygon and these other, um, layers on top of ETH1 provide what we're looking for in other places. Like maybe we don't need to go to Solana for a lot of things because of layer two Ethereum, but Solana is going to have a lot of really good stuff that we are going to be happy that we're using it for. Yeah. And I also go back to the adoption point too, where it's, okay, you know, maybe you've been in crypto for a while and you really do care about decentralization or like, you know, you think of Ethereum as kind of your crypto home. And, you know, I kind of think of it that way for me. But it, it can change, it can evolve. And also new people are going to come to the ecosystem and they're going to just come to whatever the least amount of friction, you know? So when you look at like onboarding onto Ethereum and the fact that you have to figure out MetaMask or another ETH wallet, and then you have to figure out gas fees and you're, that's a whole like thing where if you, you know, pop on the Solana, your transactions are, you're used to things trans, you know, when you use your credit card to buy something online, it processes right away. So like when you go to Solana and it processes right away, you're like, Hey, this is, this is what I'm used to. And, uh, it's fast, it's free. So I think there's going to be a lot of new people who adopt, um, blockchain and they just end up on Solana because it's just easier to, easier to use right now. And they may not know this debate about centralization, decentralization, or they, and they may not even care. So there's also that. And I think I think it's just so early in the ecosystem, it's really hard to tell like which blockchains are gonna really survive. I mean, it's so, so early. And I think there's a lot of room for, for growth for both Ethereum, for Solana, and even other, you know, and a bunch of other blockchains. Yeah, you said it well. Um, you know, different people coming into the ecosystem at different times are gonna have different values and um, what they put forward as being important and what they'll sacrifice for getting other things. You know, if you, if you want to play a lot of games and, you know, you, you got to make, you know, that decision. Um, what are you, uh, what are you excited for before we finish this out? We, we got a, an NFT episode coming up on Sunday, I think um, as our next episode, but what, what are you excited for in the, the next few days? Um, I'm excited to see how Solana's price rebounds from this incident and, and just to see how this whole thing kind of just plays out, because I do think that in the big picture, Solana is one of the few blockchains that's really trying to play it big, you know, as far as transactions per second, 65,000 versus Ethereum, which is 
like 16. So, you know, there's, 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 I think it's just so exciting to see, you know, things being built and then also they break, but it's also like cool to be part of an ecosystem that's in such an early stage that this kind of stuff happens. And, and we, I mean, I was too young to really remember when, you know, this stuff was being built with the internet and like, I'm, I mean, we don't even know how I many IPFS and all this HTTP, all this stuff was probably breaking all the time, but like, Oh, right. Well, yeah, and there's so, like a hundred different, you know, internet codes back when they were first starting out. And yeah. we, we talked about this in one of our last episodes. Now there's like five. Yeah. And we so all exactly. And we all use them every day and we don't even know about a lot of the average person doesn't even know about them and it doesn't really care because it just works in the back end. And that's the thing. Like, I think eventually all these blockchains, are going to be on so far on the back end of what's customer facing, what's user facing, and that you're not even going to know which blockchain your stuff is being processed on. And you're just going to be doing your thing and it's going to be fine. And you're not going to really care if it's ETH, Ethereum or Solana or another blockchain. You're just going to be happy to be in this awesome blockchain ecosystem where you can be sovereign over your own financial resources and assets and you can move them around the world with ease instantaneously you can pay people around the world instantaneously you don't have to not be do financial transactions because it's a sunday and your bank's closed like <laughs> you're gonna just and you're gonna be positioned to earn value as blockchain technology grows in value and i think that's another thing i just want to touch on that is like i'm so excited to see how you know, blockchains are going to redistribute wealth because the users are the ones that it's like, what if you could own cash? What if you could own a piece of the internet in 1997, you could just buy like, like a small percentage of the internet. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and own and that. Couldn't. And then every time the internet gets used, you, you, you get paid a little bit. Can you imagine that's like owning Ethereum or owning Solana? Like if you own Sol tokens, you own part of the future, the internet of the future. If you own some ETH, you're a part owner of the future internet. And I right. think that's something that people don't really get that is such a game changer in perspective once you fully understand, oh, whoa, like I can actually own a part of the next internet. Well, and I think what makes it so powerful is that we have the technology that we do today because of the dot-com boom. So we are all in a position where the world can find out about it relatively quickly and adopt it. it unlike in the 90s when, you know, AOL internet, and, you know, <laughs> try processing an NFT over that. You do a modem. pretty good modem cache, by the way. If I, if I ever need a, a modem uh, sound effect, I know who to call. Yeah, when you're a little tired in the mornings, the, the dial-up is the <laughs> how you yeah, feel. You're, but you're completely right. You know, you're completely right. And that the the way that things progress is 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 so hard for us to fully understand at this stage, I think. And yeah, we're in the we're in the kind of modem stage with crypto, and it's gonna get a lot better. And that's why it's also great to be so early, like we are now, and you can actually participate in this revolution from the start. I love it. I'm excited about that too. I don't have to tell you what I'm excited about. You, we just hit it on the head. Awesome. Well, that's it for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world. We're here to ensure you're ready. Please 
subscribe, share this podcast with your frenemies and leave us a review. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>